Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I'm trying out a new format. So I actually have a co-host on this episode who you'll meet in a moment. And on this episode, we talk about some of the top tech stories. So some of the topics covered on this episode include why Atlanta is the breeding ground for a billion dollar tech startups. We talk about the United Shades of America episode called Black to the Future, and you're going to love hearing about that. We talk about the changes that are coming to Afrotech. And of course, we have to touch on the Bill and Melinda Gates divorce. So you can find all the information for this episode in the podcast description, as well as the show notes on blacktechunplugged.com. I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you enjoy my co-host. And if you do, make sure that you rate and subscribe on the platform that you're listening to this episode today. Now let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I am joined by a special co-host today and special co-host. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, Black Tech Unplugged. This is Africa Miranda. I'm so excited to be here. And Africa, so (laughs) I know you. I'm a reality TV junkie girl. So I know you from reality TV. And then also, obviously, just the amazing things that you're doing now. But for my listeners who might not know who you are, want to give a little history about yourself? Absolutely. So, yes, um, you know, I did a very quick stint in Atlanta reality (laughs) TV land on Bravo on a show called The New Atlanta. But, you know, in this this phase of life, I am a host, a digital entrepreneur and personality. I live my life and make money and create and do so many great things online. And it is definitely my happy place. I'm also an author. I released my first book, uh, Step Up, Step Out and Shine in 2018. And it's really a guide into tapping into the light within, you know, I've been able to move through this life and do so many different things from reality TV to film and television to now, you know, being an entrepreneur and working in the digital space. And I wanted to create like one, one, you know, one place to answer a lot of the questions that I would get on social from people asking, you know, how can I change from this one place, you know, or this one type of career to something else. And it's just really a guide for helping people do that. It's, you know, none of the things that we're doing in this life are rocket science. It's just a matter of laying out the steps and helping people find their way. Yes, I love it. And also, I just want to reiterate and have you mention one more time, because people might be like, okay, why is Africa co-hosting? But you are in the digital space. You are in tech. Exactly. Like, you know, I've, I've been a an early adopter of most, almost every social media platform from Twitter to Periscope to, you know, Instagram and, you know, so many other platforms. And I've just really, you know, seen how technology and specifically, you know, in the digital space has transformed lives and careers and people's financial legacies and really just my own. It's just, it's been, it's just such an interesting ride because a lot of what I do today in 2021 did not exist 10 years ago. So it's just been really, you know, it's been a great feeling to blaze new trails and see people kind of coming up behind you saying, oh, I remember when you did this and it inspired me to try and, you know, just break out and try new things. And, you know, what's great about this tech world is, as you know, is that every year there's something new, like there's some Mm -hmm. new platform or some new, you know, gadget or some new algorithm, you know, there's just always something new. And that always speaks to me. So I think, you know, people can see tech and say, well, that's not me, but I'm like, you do use your phone every day. If you do, then you're into tech. 
Exactly. I'm so glad you called it out because people need to realize that because I feel like sometimes there's that like little competition of like, well, you don't really work in tech, but we're all using tech. So we're all involved somehow. Right. Everything I do has an app, like from my doctor's office to how I book my facials. Like everybody has an app. (laughs) Exactly. And you know what? I just, so people are used to me interviewing and telling stories. But I just want to note for this episode, we're doing something different. So Africa and I are going to talk about some of the top stories in tech and give our perspectives on it. And so to begin, Africa, I know you're based in Atlanta, and I want to talk about a TechCrunch article that came out, and it was talking about Atlanta is the breeding ground for billion-dollar tech startups. And I know we both read the article, and there was a lot to take away, but let's start with you. What was your takeaways from the article? Well, it's, I mean, it was basically laying out what I see every day in the city. You know, I lived in Atlanta from my first time living here was what I left New York. I came here maybe in 08 and I was here until 2014. I went back to New York and I've been back in Atlanta since, you know, August of last year. And that was the first thing that I noticed when I came back. I was like, this city is different. And, you know, Atlanta has always been like a very black city and it's not so black anymore, (laughs) number one. And, you know, you see all of the new construction and all the new things coming, like namely the huge Microsoft buildings that are, you know, about five minutes away from my house and how that's changing the neighborhoods and, you know, all the things. So it's, I know everyone's very excited about all of the startups and things that are coming to Atlanta. But the one thing that I have seen is that, you know, we saw what happened on the West coast and, you know, the, the cost of living in San Francisco and the Bay. And I know people personally that were affected by it. I do, you know, my, my fear is that with all of the innovation and all of these companies and the startups and that whole culture is great, but is it, go, you know, and with all of the money that comes along with it, but is it going to benefit like real Atlantans or is it going to benefit the transplants? Is it going to benefit, you know, entrepreneurs that are here or people that like have families that have been here for years and years going to get priced out and can no longer enjoy all the beautiful things that, you know, are now coming to the city. Oh, that is a good take. That just reminds me, I was, um, I think it was on Twitter and some girl had mentioned that she went to look for an apartment in Atlanta and she looked at it before she left home. And maybe like two, three days later, the apartment had went up like 1K. And I I was just like, girl, like, no, it's, it's New York, like in certain parts of the city, like I live downtown, you know, I'm really, you know, downtown there's midtown and all of that. Like Mm -hmm. it's New York prices now. And, you know, yes, to some degree, you get a little bit more than you get in New York, of course, but, but in terms of pricing, you know, pricing is price. So I am noticing that, you know, again, you, we saw, I used to live in Brooklyn and I saw how Brooklyn changed and in, I lived in Harlem. I saw how Harlem changed and, you know, with all of the innovation and, you know, I know the gentrification, like the word that everybody hates, but we know as black people, all of these great things, you know, in quotes come to our, our neighborhoods, but are we really the ones that benefit? So I will say that in the TechCrunch article, I did kind of start it with a little bit of a side eye because I was like, all this sounds great, but like, where are the black companies and the black people in this article about like Atlanta? But as you got towards the middle of the article, you know, they, and they had, you know, some, some comments from Jewel Burke Solomon, who, you know, as we know, is one of the leading black women in tech and, you know, is the head of U.S. Google's, um, their, their whole startup program, which I personally know some entrepreneurs that have benefited from. So, you know, I think if it's done right, it can be great for everybody. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, how it all shakes out. Yes. And that key phrase is if it's done right. (laughs) Right. And I have similar sentiments to you, like reading the article. We're talking about Atlanta. Like you said, 
from our perspective, you know, we are used to seeing our people around. And I was a little disappointed, though, to have to wait to like midway slash towards the end of the article to yeah. see some names, you know, of people who look like us. So I was kind of like I was similar to you. I was side eyeing and being like, OK, where are we at? And when, you know, when are we going to get our perspective? Right. But it did end up coming up in the article. And I think there was another um, person that you knew that was mentioned in the article as well. Yeah, actually, there's a couple. I'm like, as I'm kind of back skimming it as we're talking again, there's a couple. So one is uh, Candace Mitchell Harris, and she's the co-founder and CEO of, it's a beauty tech startup, Myavana. And I met Candace, she's my star, I'm a Delta. And we met back in maybe 2013 when she was working on like the very beginning iteration of Myavana. And it was all about hair typing and women could send in like strands of their hair and get it analyzed and, you know, and learn what types of products to use. Because this was like, you know, at the height of the natural hair craze where everybody was just trying to find like the holy grail of the right products, you know, to quote unquote, quote unquote, like solve your hair mystery. And, you know, I was one of the people that she came to for research and just some information, you know, as she was starting her fundraising process. So to be honest, she was actually one of the first, that was one of my first probably introduction to even understanding like capital and like what fundraising was. And she was like in this cohort, I didn't know what any of that was. (laughs) So it was so cool to me that one, a young black woman was taking something that, you know, we just kind of don't look at as in, in, from a technological perspective and was using, you know, using that to really build a business and, you know, raise funds. And she has since, you know, built out the business and is doing really well. Another, I'm like, but first of all, this article is full of Delta's. Another, two more of my stars. Uh, one is Arian Simone and she's partnered with Keisha Knight Pulliam and also Ayana Parsons. They have the Fearless Fund and their whole thing is again, providing that capital for, you know, female entrepreneurs. And because again, we, we start all these businesses, but for so many black women that are starting these businesses, they're like entrepreneurs of one. They can't go past that point because they don't have the funding. So it's really great to see really for me, like I love seeing black women like leading the charge, you know, not that black men aren't doing it, but you know, I'm always going to be partial to us and what we're doing. Yes, of course. But there is one black guy I have to mention and it's the infamous Paul judge. And he was mentioned as an investor in this article. And Mm -hmm. I think everyone knows just the amazing work that he's been doing in Atlanta, trying to get people to Atlanta, trying to make tech a big thing in Atlanta. He's been doing an amazing job. And so I do want to give him a shout out because I feel like he is one of the pioneers for bringing tech to Atlanta. So just want to shout out Paul. But also, I do want to make sure that people are aware that, yes, all these great things are happening. All these companies are coming to Atlanta. One thing that I think would mark success for all of this is making sure that there is diversity in the workforce and that is with the new companies that are coming, as well as if we're going to have tech in Atlanta and have it be successful, you need to invest in women and men who look like both of us. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like I don't want that to get lost in the message. And I guess that's kind of why I was even side eyeing the article at first is because I felt like, are you already trying to erase kind of some of the progress that has already been made? But as I mentioned, we get to the middle and towards the end, we're in there, we have our (laughs) standpoints. And so I can say, I agree with the article all in all in the end. I know they they save me by the end, but I, I, I will still stand with my earlier statement though, is that you know, again, I, I see the Microsoft buildings going up every, you know, every day as I drive and when I go to Target or I go up the street, like it's literally up the street from my house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, again, I just wonder in five more years, what are the neighborhoods going to look like? And that is always going to be my concern is that 
we all, you know, we, when I say we black people tend to get pushed out, you know, initially when everything is proposed, it's like, oh, it's going to be so great for the community. It's going to mean all these dollars for the community and all these jobs. But I'm like, but what type of jobs are we going to be in the, you know, in the exec positions, or is it just going to be the people like at the front desk or security or, you know, in maintenance and like, you know, are you, are you moving the numbers around to show your diversity and that yes, we're hiring black people, but are they in all tiers of the company? And also are you investing in the communities where you could possibly be displacing people? So that those are going to be the things that I, you know, honestly will be looking out for. And those will be also be markers of success for me as well. Yes. And even just along that same vein. So on Sunday, I was watching a show called United Shades of America. It's on CNN. And they had an episode called Black to the Future. And Mm -hmm. it also was focused on Atlanta and how to get more people in STEM. So they were using the moniker Black to the Future to me too. And I love the idea of showing representation in tech. And I feel like that was one of the first shows that I've seen on a major network that was just all about Black people, the amazing things that we're already doing in tech, and then also mm-hmm. just the message of like getting our youth into tech. Yes. And on that episode, they highlighted something that I think is so important. And with the last election, I think we really need to touch on. And so they were basically saying how tech helped get people out to vote. So not sure if you know about this, but in Georgia, they have what's called the exact match law. Are you familiar with that? No, and because I'm a new Georgia voter. So I'm like, yes, please tell me about this. Okay, so for a required voter registration information, you have to have an exact match with your driver's license, state ID, or social security card. But here's where the trickiness comes in. So let's just say there are five Africa Mirandas in the database. Right. They can't tell which one is you. They wipe out all of the Africa Mirandas from the voting registration system. Oh. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, that sounds very convenient for some. But yeah, yeah. I'm like, how that's I'm I'm at a loss right now. Yes. And so Knowing that happens, so the whole efforts that Stacey Abrams and others were doing during the election last year was to get everyone back on that on the registration, right? Because this has been going on mm-hmm. for years. Nobody mentions this. But basically, oh, what- so that was why everybody. So that when they were talking about the purging, it was because of that. Because I was like, yes. right, how did they purge so many people in bulk off of the voter registration rules? Okay, now it makes sense. All right. So within the episode, they're just talking about how basically this is algorithmic violence, which is basically this is the civil rights movement of our future. Mm. Tech is going to be used against black people. And this is just an example. I could not believe that this is allowed to happen in 2021. And then think of all the new voter suppression laws that they're putting in place. Of course. So imagine the next election is going to have we're going to have to fight a thousand times harder. First of all, the phrase algorithmic violence alone just gives me chills because that you can see how that's being like affecting poor communities and marginalized communities, like period, like mm-hmm. Wi-Fi is spotty or like not even available or, you know, just or or to access certain, you know, government systems or information. You can only access it through this, but it's assuming that everybody has means to do so. It's just it's hard because as much as I love technology, I, I see how it is absolutely creating that divide and oh. Yes. And they touched on like AI and underrepresentation of tech. And it was just all the information on that episode. It was scary, 
But I do want to say on the flip side, it was inspiring because they did tell some amazing stories. They talked about a program at Morehouse called Smash, which is where individuals who look like us, particularly males, go and they learn about STEM and they learn about technology and they're learning from other Black people. And so they're inspired to want to get into these STEM and tech careers. So highly recommend that everyone go watch it. I will put a link in the show notes. It was nice to see Blacks on national television being able to talk about being Black and not even just being Black, but like being successful and happy in tech. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. I'm like so excited to watch this now. Yeah, it was so good. It's just, it was like so much Black joy in one episode. It was just so exciting. Yeah, no, I definitely, I'm like, I will be, for everyone listening, we all will be watching together because I will be following up as well. Ooh, we should do maybe a watch party or something. That'd be fun too. Ideas. Yes. All right. So switching gears a little bit. I don't know if you've heard of the big conference that everyone attends, Afrotech. Everybody, I feel like I've been at Afrotech by degrees of separation every year because I know so many people that have attended. I have not gone and it always sounds like the best party in the world. And I'm super jealous that I've yet to go. So we got to get you there. Maybe you could be hosting or, you know, just go and attend. Yeah. But so Afrotech, yes, big, huge black tech party. The last couple of years, it's been in Oakland, California. But They just announced that they are switching up things for 2021. And I'm not sure if people are happy or (laughs) curious about what's going on. I'm curious. (laughs) So Afrotech has three events this year in 2021. So they're going to start off with Afrotech Executive. And that's bringing together like corporate executive, venture capitalists, angel investors, startup founders, tech moguls, two-day programming in August. That's going to be in Los Angeles, California. Not too surprising. I mean, LA has a pretty large tech scene, so I'm not really surprised by that. But then they they added Afrotech Music, and that's going to be in November in Austin, Texas. And so at Music, you'll have leaders for the entertainment and tech industry, and then it'll be a music and networking experience that focuses on growing the Black tech community. Are we ready for in-person events? I mean, I, I, was it just me? I don't, I don't know. No, it's not just you. I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready. Like, mm. you know, on one hand I was like, well, maybe by them doing it in, you know, mul- multiple ones and, you know, in, in the different cities gives it a chance for the, you know, a more specific set of people. So it's not going to be as if everybody was at, you know, as the, the numbers of everyone's at one large conference, mm-hmm. but I just, I don't know. I just think everyone's being very ambitious with their plans. I just, I don't know. I don't know. So much can, I just feel like in the last year, I've learned that so much can change so fast and November just seems, just seems soon. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if COVID taught us anything is that things can change in a heartbeat, but at the same time, I feel like everything is opening up and they're just like, go out here and be great. And I'm like, I'm not ready to just go out there with people who, I don't know if you have your vaccination, have you washed your hands? I'm a little nervous. All of that. But I also am saying this as a person who lives in Atlanta, which never closed. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I just, I had to ask three people yesterday, like, please don't get on the elevator with me. You have on no mask. And they, they really gave me like the business. Like they were so just like, what? like they were upset. And I was just like, oh, well, the door's closing. Like, I don't know what to tell. 
See, I'm, so, yeah. I'm totally still that person. I'm like, I'll wait for the next one. Thanks though. Right. Like, like, I just, yeah. So, you know, it, but I also understand like everyone is craving, like, you know, we're craving human contact. We're craving this interaction. Like I'm as all, like everyone else, I'm sick of zoom. I'm sick of, I went to a zoom funeral on Saturday. Like I oh, just, wow. I've been to zoom weddings. I've been to zoom funerals. I've been to zoom baby showers wedding shower. Like I've been to zoom, I'm zoomed out. So I do understand, you know, that need, you know, conferences are more than just information. It's connection. It's like, it's, it, you know, it's, it's networking, it's opportunities and connections that you can only make in person. So I, I get how important they are. I just, I don't know. This will, this will be a good, this will be another, let's wait and see. Yes. Well, I will say for Austin, this venue looks to be like either it's going to be outside or very well social distance. Okay. So it gives me a little bit of hope, but I feel like we always say something social distance right now. And then you get there and you're like, Ooh, okay. That's not six feet. (laughs) Exactly. Like that. It's all relative until people get there. So I, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, like if they have the virtual option, I will be happy to watch. I guess I'll be watching on zoom. So they actually do still have the virtual option and that's going to be the Afrotech conference. And this is going to be a multi-day experience. This is going to be November 8th through 13th, but they'll have a digital and in-person. Okay. So that's what's starting to worry people a tiny, tiny bit is that they don't know where the in-person is, in-person part of the conference is. And why I'm saying that is everyone loves that it's in Oakland. Everyone you know, Oakland, right. San Francisco, the Bay, everyone, exactly. they want to be there. Right. And everyone's getting a little nervous that there's no location. It's just this California right now. Yeah. And, and are they saying anything about like testing or what their COVID protocols will be yet? No, they have not. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm just going to wait and see. Yes. I am definitely in the wait and see game too, girl. But along the same vein of big tech company names, cities, you know, we have to bring up the major news of Bill and Melinda Gates getting a divorce. Because there's no other important news happening in the world. <laughs> <laughs> None. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, it, I understand. Like, I, I'm like, am I the only person who doesn't care? I. See, I was on the fence. Originally, I didn't care. Okay. And then I kind of started seeing the political and economic ramifications from their divorce, just like how much they invest in certain like research and what their foundation does. And I was like, okay, this is a little bit, this is more than I thought it was. Yeah. From my understanding, like when some of the, you know, the reading I had done on it, you know, when when the news first broke was that they're like their endowments and different things like aren't predicated like on their marriage and their relationship. Like the money is there. It's that, you know, it's like whatever is there is there. Mm-hmm. And it, it apparently can't be affected by their divorce. But I, you know, again, this is just, I read it on the internet, so it must be true. You know, I don't know. <laughs> oh yes. I definitely understand. Um, yeah. I, I, it's weird because I don't know, but at the same time, so everyone was saying that they waited until the markets closed to actually announce the divorce. And I'm like, do we give these people this much power that you can't tell us you're getting a divorce without, you know, the market going crazy. That to me is like mind boggling. It really is. And I saw like the tweets about that as well. And I, it just, just, and this is where I'm like, and I promise for everyone listening, I am not just like disgruntled black woman, but (laughs) 
I do have moments where I'm just, you know, we have these, again, these white people that have amassed like this insane amount of wealth. And, you know, I am definitely a person who enjoys being paid well for what I do and generating income and all of that good stuff. But it's just, does one person, one need that much money? It's just, I don't know. I just feel like it's like, there's there's this couple that is, again, they've amassed so, so much money. And yes, of course they have done, you know, philanthropic things with it. That's great. Whatever. But I just like, I'm kind of just like tired of like white people business and white people stories and rich white people and the rich white people happening. So that's kind of where I was left (laughs) with my feelings on the two of them. Yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from with that. Although we could switch it over to, I'm sure you saw the breaking news with Portia. We could switch it over there, but we don't have enough time. I am just as uninterested in that foolish as well. So believe me. So, so, so for everybody listening, just know it's equal. Like I'm, I'm, I don't care about either one. Listen, it's been blowing up the internet, but we are not talking about that on this podcast. Because oh, I'm like, well, her the, the, her new fiance is like, doesn't he own like an oil company in Nigeria or something? I don't Something you know, maybe like he's that. invested in technology as well. <laughs> I, he's in Atlanta. So Atlanta, there's, there's a lot of, of you know, of <laughs> industries in Atlanta. So that might be, that's, that's part of the, the tech conversation. I suppose, but you know, maybe <laughs> one day one of us will run into him and we can have that conversation, but it there won't be today. <laughs> no, it will not be today. <laughs> so Africa, to end our conversation today, I want to do kind of like a listener question slash like, advice for either something that's either going on with me at work or, you know, something that is going on with that I've read on Twitter that we can all relate to from a workplace perspective. So today's question is around being the only black woman in a space. So I know for me, I've experienced it and I'm sure a lot of people have experienced it. Yes. But as we know, being a black woman in a space, even though we are strong, we are intelligent, we know our stuff, it's hard. The question that I have is, how do you navigate being the only one in the workplace? And I'll let you start. Well, it has happened to me more times than I can count, more than I would like. And I would hope that it's never going to happen again, but I know it will. And, you know, and it's just when it in the, in the beginning, I used to feel pressure that I had to, you know, be the model minority, like, okay, well, if I'm the only one here, I've got to make sure that I'm the best of the best and, you know, and be the best black woman. So they just know that, that we're great and we're excellent. And I just realized one, that's exhausting. It's impossible. And it is not possible to change someone's thoughts or, you know, however they choose to perceive black women based on my behavior. And if it, you know, it, it's just, it's just not possible. If they're going to think negatively, negatively or positively, they're going to choose to do that work on their own. Like I can't, like, that's not work that I can do as one person. And it's not the best use of my gifts and of my time and of the opportunity. So what I have found works best for me is that I don't have to be the model anything. Like I'm always going to represent black women fully. I don't try to like minimize my blackness. I am very, I am very much a black girl in all, in all my spaces. Like I'm not trying to like make people comfortable or, you know, or, or uncomfortable, but I don't try to like downplay my blackness to make other people uncomfortable. I just really am just like the, the best use of my time in this space is being fully myself. And I've found that when I do that, my work is better. I feel better. The entire situation usually ends up being one that is much more productive. And 
so that that's my first is that like I just I just show up as myself and I feel like that's that's the the best that that's the best work that I can do in terms of representing black women. And then the second is that when I am in those spaces, I am learning as much as I can. I am, you know, making as many connections as I can so that by the time my time there is done, there is another black woman or two or three in the space with me or being prepared to come into that space. Mm, I like that. I like that. And what's crazy is you rarely hear someone say that, but I think we do it subconsciously. Yes. And, you know, we just, and it's also something you feel like you don't have to say, but it's so good to hear out loud. Mm -hmm. I think from my perspective, especially just being in a corporate tech environment is don't take things personally, which I know is easier said than done. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times there is this projection. They will try to project on you either their insecurities or their lack of skills. And they want you to feel like you're not up to par. Always know, you know your skill set, you know yourself. Ignore what those people are saying because what they're saying has nothing to do with you. You know who you are. And like you said, stay true to yourself. Also carve out space for you. Don't think that you have to be on you know, be in their face every minute or that you have to act a certain way to be liked, give yourself space to sometimes just be, just be able to breathe and take a moment because there's going to be a lot of microaggressions. There's going to be a lot of telling you you're wrong when you're really right. And you just need to be in the right mindset for that. Even if that's praying every morning, because sometimes you got to pray that you don't choose violence at work. (laughs) Even if that means- Even if that means meditating during lunchtime, do something to protect yourself. And also along the lines of protect yourself, make sure that you see why cover your ass on everything. Make sure everything's in writing. Make sure you snapshot any conversations that you need because some people will try it. That is true. All right. On that note, Africa, thank you for co-hosting with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm like, greetings from Atlanta. (laughs) This has been so fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. And if you are listening to the episode and you like this format, you can drop Africa and I an audio note or an email. That information is in the show notes. So make sure you tell us how you like the format, if there's any stories that we need to cover, and we would love to hear from you. So thank you again. And that is it. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the podcast on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. If you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a written review too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Also, I have one new way for us to communicate. If you go to anchor.fm slash btu slash message, you can now leave me voice notes. And so that note could be how amazing the podcast episode was, suggestions you have for next episodes, or any questions that maybe you want Africa and I to answer. So you can find the link to leave voice notes in the show notes on the website, as well as in the podcast description. So thanks all for listening. Until next time.